0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. I find it interesting that many people are so concerned that they might be guilty of an unforgivable sin. And so we go to Mark chapter 3. And people ask often, I wonder, have I committed that sin? Am I never able to be forgiven because I violated this? Well, I find it interesting because while people get so concerned about whether or not they've committed a sin that can't be forgiven, we seem to be less and less concerned about the sins we do commit. And I wonder why that is. Is it because we've developed the attitude that says, God always forgives? So I'll just do what I want to do, ask for forgiveness, and all is good. And therefore the seriousness of sin doesn't really confront us. Because we've already decided I'm going to be forgiven anyway. So whether I sin or not is not important. Oh, oh, But I don't want to commit the sin that I can't be forgiven. Let's think about today questions concerning the Holy Spirit, too, that come up often. Will you take your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark? And I want you to notice with me the context in which we find the statement that Jesus made. The context is very important. I think it can help us get a handle on what was it that Jesus taught? What was his message when he said, you will not be forgiven for blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, let me first of all suggest that time, a time factor in the context can help us. This statement of Jesus seems to be at the first part of his ministry. Mark's gospel begins with the ministry of Jesus. His first statements are about Him coming to John the baptizer and being immersed and that begins the public ministry of Jesus. Immediately thereafter we find him in Capernaum. We find him in Galilee. We find him again in Capernaum. And he is around that northern part Of the land of Palestine. Now, the time is important because he makes this statement early on in his ministry. And I'll give you a thought about that in a moment. Number two, I think the events of the context are important. In chapter 3, the immediate context reveals an event where Jesus on the Sabbath was in the synagogue. And notice the text, if you will, there was a man who was there who had a withered hand. Now, as you read the story, you know what's going on. All these leaders of the Jews are watching. If you- about why they're watching? Well, they know Jesus. They know that this situation is going to be producing an opportunity for Jesus to do something, the text says, so that they might accuse him, verse 2. Maybe in our kind of language, we would say he just wouldn't be able to help himself. He has this power. He can heal this guy. And he's not going to be able to help himself. He is going to do it. And all these leaders are thinking, we got him now. We got him. Because he's going to violate the Sabbath. And Jesus, look at verse number five, showing again the human side of Jesus. He said he looked around at them. With anger. And then he told the man, stretch out your hand. Immediately it was made whole. And then the scribes got together with the Herodians and they began a plot to take Jesus out. This event is important. Starting in verse 7. Jesus is showing his power by healing all kinds of people. That's what Jesus does. And then he appointed the twelve starting in verse number 13. And in this situation, in this event, Jesus is showing, himself, or showing to them who he is. Now this event of having healed this guy, sets the stage for what is happening in his statement about blaspheming the spirit. But I think it's also interesting that people are a part of this story. You have at the beginning of the chapter, you have the Herodians and the Pharisees The Pharisees were the Jewish leaders who knew the law, and they interpreted the law for the people. The Herodians were the Jewish people who supported Herod being in charge. And so the Pharisees, who didn't like Herod, got together with the Herodians who supported Herod, And in some way, they were thinking with the leaders of the Jews and the leaders of the Romans, we'll get together, we'll conspire, and we will destroy Jesus. Now, multitudes of people were now hearing about him. Yes, I think it's early on in his ministry. I can't tell you how long. My guess, this is certainly in the first year maybe just a few months in but already from not only that northern area of palestine but even way down in the southern part multitudes of people are flooding to jesus any of us would i would today if jesus came in and i would say hey man I want to have full voice to be able to preach. How about help me here? Wouldn't you go out? If you're walking around with a limp, if you're not hearing so well, if your eyes aren't working well, won't you go somewhere if you knew you could be healed? These people traveled for miles because they heard what Jesus could do. And in verse 11, Even unclean spirits were cast out. Whenever they saw him, they fell down and cried out, You are the Son of God. This event, these people, sparked the situation we read about. Verse twenty. The multitude came together. There were so many people there that Jesus couldn't even find time to eat. One commentator said they were surrounding the house and pressing inside that while he was sitting at a table, they were pressing up against him and he couldn't even enjoy a meal. Maybe you have seen stories about celebrities that try to go out and have a meal in public. And they are constantly bombarded either with media or autograph seekers. And many times they say, we just want a normal life. These multitudes. Look at verse 21. But when his own people Heard about this. They went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. His own people. Go down to verse 31. Let's find out who these people were his brothers, his mother. They're standing outside to see you, Lord. The crowd is around. They're out here. They want you to come out. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Jesus said, these. Even his own mother, who knew that Jesus was special Even she thought he's out of his mind I think it's because it is so early in the ministry of Jesus and Mary is trying so hard to wrap her mind around what is happening that she just thought he's lost it and they all came To take him away. Marrying, probably to protect him, to keep him from harm. His brothers, who did not believe him at all, probably were embarrassed at what he was doing to the family name. All of these people involved in this situation. you take this early time in his ministry, this event of healing a man on the Sabbath and particularly casting out demons and all of these people out to get him in some way. Now notice what Jesus said. You are, in our language... You're crazy. How can Satan win a battle if he fights against himself? If Satan fights against Satan, he is destroying his own army. How do you go and fight a strong man? Well, first of all, you bind him, then you can do whatever you want. Jesus said, You're accusing me of lining up with Satan? You're accusing me of saying what I'm saying in league with the devil? So he said, All of the sins will be forgiven, man, all of them. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, never be forgiven. Now, Matthew, in his account, chapter 12, adds an interesting phrase. He said, neither in this age nor in the age to come. There's something going on here that's different. It's different because in some ways it doesn't make sense. You can blaspheme Jesus all you want. You can be forgiven of that. But you cannot be forgiven of blaspheming the Spirit. We might be tempted to think it the opposite, wouldn't we? We might be tempted to think, well, wait a minute. I think it'd be a whole lot worse to, to blaspheme Jesus, to speak against him. I mean, he came to the earth, he died for me, and I'm going to speak against him. That's what blaspheme means. To speak against with the intent of condemning and cursing. But Jesus said, you speak against me all you want, but you can't speak against him. What makes it so different? Well, the answer is partially because, verse 30, he has an unclean spirit. What was it they said that caused the blasphemy? They said, Jesus, you have an unclean spirit. That's speaking against the Holy Spirit because Jesus was working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit that came to him in his baptism just a little bit before. And so he's telling them, when you tell me I have an unclean spirit, you're calling the Spirit of God unclean. But there's something going on here. What makes it different that the spirit can be set up in a way that if you blaspheme, you're not forgiven? Here's what I think is going on. The miraculous had a point. In Mark 16, verse 20, when Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven, sent the disciples out, the Bible says... And the signs followed them, confirming the word. The point of miracles was not to get attention. The point of a miracle was to make a point. And the point was, God is speaking. You better listen. These people were given an opportunity to stand in the presence of actions that were humanly unbelievable. And if you sit there and you say, this fantastic event Immediately making a withered hand whole. Or taking an unclean spirit out of someone to the extent that the spirit bows down to Jesus. And you say, that's the devil, that's Satan doing it to himself. If these miracles were for the purpose of producing faith and you deny the best thing that God ever did to help produce faith in people, what else can he do? If you don't see this as a work of God, what else can God do? What else can He send? What else can He say to produce faith in you? It's not going to happen. You've had the best. In Matthew 11, when John the baptizer was in prison and he heard about Jesus, And he sent some of his disciples, go find out if this is the man we're looking for. What was Jesus' response? Go back and tell him about all the miracles you have seen. Meaning, when he knows about the miracles, he will know that it's me. Because that's what miracles do. They verify that God is at work. I think the timing is important again notice this and for the old timers here 25 years ago Tom Myers and I were talking about this passage and he looked at me and he said have you ever noticed that this was never brought up again in scripture Have you ever noticed that there was never an accusation after Jesus said this, never, that Jesus said, you just blasphemed. It never came up. Because early in the ministry, he laid it out there. And nobody dared cross that line. They were just concerned there. As we would be today and have been, and some are, have I committed this sin? Here's some takeaways for today. Number one, you and I cannot commit this sin. I don't believe it's possible because there are no displays of miracles going on today. I can't watch a human being do a God work today. Not in the way they did in scripture. It can't happen. And so I can't commit that sin today. You can't commit that sin today. But that shouldn't give us peace. That shouldn't make us say, okay, we're not in trouble. Here's another takeaway we need to have. The Holy Spirit is not a subordinate member of the Godhead. He might be the least understood, possibly the least discussed, but he's not the least in importance. Which is why tonight we're going to talk together about 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. He's not subordinate. He's not a lesser member. He is fully God. We can also know from this text and this event That we have a verified and proven word from God that we can trust. We don't need miracles today. We don't need somebody to perform a God action in front of us. We have the word of God written, wrote down all of those things, witnessed all of those things, gave them to us. I have all I need. Don't need any more. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And I can also learn from this text take away. Even if I can't commit this sin today as far as blaspheming the spirit in a way that says I'll never be forgiven. I better be careful about blaming or accusing God of anything. Because even though they were told, you do this, you won't be forgiven. It is still possible today for us to reject, to speak against, to blaspheme God. Now, I know of people, you do too, who have spit in the face of God. Turn their backs on the faith they once had. But I know many of them who have come back. And I'm convinced they were forgiven. But here's the problem. When I put my state myself in a state where I blame God, I accuse God, I hold something against God, I'm in a danger zone. A danger zone leading to What the Hebrew writer called a hard heart. It is possible to be so hard hearted that I will not want to come back. I sat with a man who knew the Lord. But he violated every covenant that God ever established for relationships with people and with Him. And in His final days, He moaned, He wept, because one part of Him was saying, You better get right with the Lord. And the other part was just angry and hard hearted. And from my perspective, that's the part that won. He wanted to get right, he just couldn't. That's the danger that we need to take away from this encounter. Let us not be so immersed in our own lives that we fail to examine and realize, am I growing hard-hearted or am I spiritually growing toward the Lord? He's given us everything we need Am I willing to keep it? There might be someone here who's never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you're hard-hearted. We'd love to see you become a child of God. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky.